Good morning. Welcome to the online service, friends, uh, church family, faith community. I'm so honored to be with you. Listen to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. While they were traveling, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who was also seated at the Lord's feet, and she was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. And that'd be equivalent of our parents calling us by our middle name. The Lord said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. Now let's pause and ask God to direct us in this word. Father, thank you that you're here with us. In Jesus' name, God, I ask that you would speak through your word and may it touch hearts and lives. We thank you for this story that reminds us of the emphasis and the significance of personal worship. Guide our hearts and our thoughts in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Now, this story draws me into that drastic nature of contrast between two key individuals, two people that were very close to Jesus. One served, the other sat. One personified perfectly the human ideal of conscientiousness and diligence with details, while the other sat and listened. One managed many tasks. The other sat and listened and quietly focused in repose without saying a word. Now, our, our culture applauds um, the, the, the mentality of work, and our culture celebrates the task-driven life. But here in the Gospels, there exists this simple story that the narrative of Luke allows us to engage as a small home in the tiny village of Bethany opens, inviting us in to see this drastic contrast between a life busily serving God and a life quietly sitting before God. This comes into focus through the life of Martha, who served actively and diligently directly to Jesus Christ, and Mary, who sat quietly at Jesus' feet. My prayer is that this contrast will open all of our hearts to the significance of personal worship. It was Philip Schaff, a Swiss theologian, who in analyzing American Christianity observed this, American Christianity is more like busy Martha than pensive Mary, who is seated at the feet of Jesus. American Christianity expands more in breadth than it does in depth. It is often carried on like a secular business and in a mechanical and utilitarian way. 
Now, what I find interesting about Philip Schaff's commentary, although very piercing, is that this was written in 1854. This sounds as if it could be addressed today, but many, many years ago, this observation critiqued American Christianity as being very wide, a lot of breadth, but very little depth. Oh, how we must ardently live a different narrative. In the Gospel of Luke, we are invited in to this incredible story of, of contrast where we ourselves need to really take a assessment of where we stand spiritually in our relationship with God. Do we depict the busyness of serving and attempting to satisfy our sense of responsibility? Or are we more characterized as one pers personally worshiping and quietly uh, dwelling in, in God's presence. And so let's lean into this narrative for just a moment, wherein we can uh, grasp tight three considerations that I believe will help us to learn from this contrast and to grow in our faith from this story. And the first consideration is that this story depicts a problem. The second consideration, we're given a need that must be met. And then third, we're drawn into some personal application. So let's focus on the problem, on the need that is addressed through that problem, and then necessary application that we can all make. So let's begin with the problem. Uh, this story opens in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10, while they were traveling. So that statement alone, reflected in other gospels, can reference many movements that Jesus and his disciples made in and out of the holy city, Jerusalem. So in order to understand the, the problem that exists in this episode of Jesus' ministry, we need to grasp the history and then the context and then the language. If we look at the history, context, and language, I believe we'll find the depths of, of this problem that became so significant in the life of one that lived very close in a friendship with Jesus. Her name is Martha. So let's look first at the history, then the context, and then the language. First, concerning the history, while they were traveling, positions Jesus and his disciples either entering or exiting the holy city. If you were exiting Jerusalem, you would travel down the Transjordan by a small, obscure village, the village of Bethany. And there, a household of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha represented three very close and dear friends to Jesus. A parallel to Luke's gospel would be John chapter 10 and 11, which depicts this close relationship with Jesus and Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. On this journey past Bethany, Luke uh, describes the narrative in a very unique way. The name of the village is not even mentioned in this narrative, nor are the disciples elaborated on, even though they're accompanying Jesus. This narrative simply expresses that Jesus visited to the home of Mary and Martha. In fact, Lazarus is not brought into the narrative either. And so the reason I believe Luke uh, was led by God's hand to scribe the story in this fashion would be to focus primarily on exactly what Jesus said to this contrast. Martha in her pursuits, Mary in her humble posture before Jesus. And what Jesus said and addressed becomes 
significance. There is a problematic occurrence existing here, and the history points us to this real place at a real time with a real occasion so that we today can grasp the timeless truth of how necessary it becomes to prioritize our personal devotion and worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So history serves us greatly here. Continuing in this narrative with a focus on history, notice that verse 38 describes Martha's initial action. When Jesus and his disciples traveled by, we're told that Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, obviously, Martha takes the posture of the the chief, um, the chief one who would extend care and hospitality. She welcomed Jesus into her home. As we focus a bit more deeply on the history, it's important to note what is not the problem. What is not the problem would be Martha's expression of hospitality. She welcomed Jesus into her home. While this would show a, a noble practice common among the saints of of Jesus' day and of the first century church. In fact, the spirit of hospitality dates back to the, to the Old Testament law, particularly Leviticus chapter 19, wherein there are instructions for the people of God to entreat strangers and even aliens from other nations and to share hospitality. This would, uh, demark their identity as children of Jehovah and would express God's love, even to strangers. That spirit of hospitality became uh, became evident, not just in the Old Testament, but on through the Gospels, as Jesus and the disciples traveled in itinerant fashion, leaning upon others to provide hospitality. And this expression of hospitality became an expectation in the first century church. In Romans chapter 12, verse 13, we are told with, with an imperative force to practice hospitality with other Christians. In the first century, when a Christian would travel, particularly those who would not have exuberant income, finding safe lodging would be almost an impossibility. And so Christians looked out for one another, inviting each into their home when that was necessary or needed. So here, Martha practices this amazing expression of Christian love, hospitality. Verse 38, she welcomed Jesus into her home. And this practice of hospitality would be no small congenial act. The idea of first century hospitality would not simply be a kind and cordial, hey, stop by if you would like to. This would be a true opening of the home and an expression of support and needs being met by all the resources within the home. So when the guest would come in, every resource in the home would, would be, uh, would be given or at least provided and offered, uh, to the guest. And so with this first century picture of hospitality involving a lengthy stay, by the guest, involving uh, the meeting of, of all the needs of the guest, and involving the spirit of benevolence and kindness, obviously the host would have her work cut out for her. The host could become very busy with a lot of details, simply entreating one guest, not to mention Jesus with likely most of his disciples. And so Mary opened her home to Jesus. Now, verse 39 reminds us that Mary, Martha opens her home. Mary is seated at the feet of Jesus. And then verse 40 describes Martha's disposition. She becomes distracted by her many tasks. So let's move from, 
from history now to, uh, to the context. Let's broaden the context a bit from the episode of Jesus in the home of Martha and Mary, and let's look from verse 25 to the end of the chapter. If you were to notice the broader context, you would discover not one, but three significant stories that actually have one very significant theme. From verse 25 to verse 29, looking at the context, you, you engage with a story of Jesus entreating an expert in the law, in the Mosaic law, with questions about what would constitute eternal life or what would constitute being a part of God's eternal kingdom. And so you see the story in Jesus' response to love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Now, beginning from verse 30 and following, we find a second story, a parable, if you will, with true life uh, a reflection. And the story reflects the Good Samaritan truly loving his neighbor. And then from that second story to the third, we come to the present focus of Jesus entering the home of Martha and Mary. Now, these three stories, which serve the broader context, points to one significant theme. Notice that the expert in the law was attempting to find out how Jesus might prioritize the law. And the story of the Good Samaritan, the expert in the law leans in to discover how Jesus prioritizes who should be our neighbor. So first, Jesus prioritizes the greatest commandment, love God and love others, love your neighbors yourself. And the second story, the Good Samaritan, Jesus prioritized his own love and mercy for us in expressing who our neighbor is, the one who is in desperate need. And then the third story, priority falls upon Jesus himself. And so here's the theme of priority, the priority of what Jesus said is most important in the law, the priority of Jesus' love and mercy toward neighbors, and then the priority of Jesus himself. And so the history brings us into Martha's home. The context reveals the theme of priority, and now to the language the third of these three considerations that help us to better engage with the problem of, of this story. So the language becomes reflected in verse 40 when we are told that Martha was, was very distracted. Martha became distracted by her, her many cares. The, the Greek term behind our translation, distracted, perispeo, reflects a word that actually indicates one's attention being drawn away by other cares. And so the emphasis here concerning Martha's distraction would not reference what we might consider an indirect distraction, perhaps a phone ringing or hearing a, a car passing just outside your window. Actually, the idea of distraction here references significant cares that Martha cannot remove from her thoughts, and they are taking her away from what would matter most. So the problem doesn't necessarily indicate a moral or spiritual error, but the problem references a priority dismissed, a priority forgotten. The priority of this story references time with Jesus, one's personal posture of worship and devotion before our Lord 
And this priority was forgotten. This became the problem. Why was this the problem? Because of Martha's busyness. All of the cares drew her attention away from what was most important and distracted her. And busyness resulted in Martha dismissing a significant priority, the priority in the life of a follower of Jesus, prioritizing Christ himself. And this priority was dismissed by Martha because of busyness. Now, there would be people who might use this story to play a personality game. Martha's personality, active and overt and hospitable. Mary's personality, contemplative, meditative, quiet. This represents no story of diverse personality, although you might find application there. This story references one who maintained priority and one who did not because of her busyness. This reminds me of of, of an article in the Boston Globe by Dr. Susan Coven, who practices internal medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital. This is what she wrote in 2013. In the past few years, Dr. Coven writes, I've observed an epidemic of sorts. Patient after patient suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances, back pain, and weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-rays diagnostic of this condition, and yet it is easy to recognize. The condition is excessive busyness. What a disturbing and damaging impact busyness can have on our well-being, but also our soul. So now we move from the problem, having embraced that the problem is not necessarily moral or spiritual failure, but that might as well be the problem because the problem was a forgotten priority of being in Jesus' presence, worshiping him and having one's life devoted to him. That becomes the problem. We can find our service to Jesus becoming denigrated by busyness, so that there exists no devotion. Our service to Jesus can become denigrated by busyness, and thus there exists no devotion to him. This represents the problem. So now let's peer a little deeper into the narrative as we move from the problem to the need. Oh, because of this, of this problematic occurrence in Martha and Mary's house, and because Martha became distracted with busyness, we now understand the need. Here we find evident in the story the need for a shift. Now, as we lean a little deeper into the text, I'd like to show you how Jesus himself instructed Martha in this necessary shift. The need represents this shift that likely should take place in all of our lives. 
Now notice the shift, and I'll just come straight from the scripture. This is a phenomenal reality of this present narrative. And so Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and Jesus came up to her, and, and Martha asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all of this alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Does that sound familiar? God, please tell this person to change so that my life becomes easier. Well, that was essentially Martha's request to Jesus. And Jesus said to her, here is where Jesus instructs Martha in the need, the need for her to make a shift, perhaps a shift that you need to make at this very moment. Jesus said, Martha, Martha. Again, I love the emphasis of the repeated name. I'll Always remember the sound of my mother's voice calling me by all three of my names, which meant I either need to run that way and never stop running or go to her quickly and make things right. Obviously, the latter is the best choice. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha. Oh, I assure you, he drew her attention in with that address. Now, notice the shift. There are three steps in this shift. You're worried and upset about many things. But what's necessary is one thing. Now, let's map the shift out real quickly. Let's begin with the most basic identification here. First, Jesus referenced the many things. Now, this phrase, many things, actually comes from the word that we define as worry or anxiety. In the Greek, merimena becomes the word that distinguishes the multiple concerns, the, the multiple distractions. There's another word in the Greek text that would indicate or define many. And so the expression would be Jesus saying to Martha, you have many distracting concerns. You have many existing cares. And so the first step in this shift that Jesus instructed Martha's heart was a focus upon this, this predicament, you have many concerns in your life at this moment. This would be Jesus' way of reminding Martha that these many concerns laid upon her life were actually authored by her. She assumed upon herself the many tasks. Now, the reason we gave the history and the context and the language from the diagnosis of the problem was to emphasize how natural it was for Martha to fall into this trap of assuming all the needs upon herself. But Jesus was present in her home, not like a typical visitor. He was there for a distinct purpose. He was there to speak. He was there to reveal. He was there to minister. He did not need Martha's busyness. He needed Martha to come out of the kitchen and to come into the sitting room. Now, in first century days, and the Gospel of Luke does a great job of bringing the marginalized into the main portion of the narrative, such as the case here. In, in the ancient customs of Jesus' day, women who served were likely located in the kitchen and would never come out to the main seated area. But as Luke reveals, Jesus always brings the marginalized in to his main audience, and so Jesus' desire was not just for Mary to leave the area where she would be expected to be found and to come to her, but Jesus' desire was for Martha, the head of the hospitality, to do the same. His desire was not the many tasks, so he 
pointed out to her the reality that she has assumed upon herself all of these working responsibilities. He pointed out to her that she had succumbed to her own desire to satisfy her sense of responsibility. There are many people right now living out their faith, disgusted and disgruntled and fatigued because they're satisfying a personal sense of responsibility that they themselves have assumed instead of truly seeking the face of Jesus every day. I've, I've been there. Perhaps you are there. Let's make certain that we are not simply taking upon ourselves responsibilities to satisfy our own fleshly sense of responsibility. So the first step in this shift, Jesus instructed Martha's heart, was to realize you have many things, many things that I've not given you. You're assuming a sense of responsibility, Jesus would say, that I did not author. So now let's look at the second step of this shift. Jesus simply didn't point to the tangible, you're busy about these tasks. Jesus pointed to the heart. So in this shift, Jesus moved Martha from the reality of the many things to the condition of her heart. Jesus said this, this to her, Martha, you are worried and you're upset about the many things. Martha, you're not just busy fulfilling tasks. Your sense of responsibility has changed your heart and not for the better. Your sense of duty has not made you noble, but has instead made you worried and upset. So the second movement in this shift from a reality of self-imposed responsibilities would be the condition of the heart. Martha, you're worried. You're upset. Martha, you have anxiety and you've given in to emotionalism. That would become an accurate depiction of Jesus' confrontation with Martha. You, you have, you have many concerns. You've, you've, uh, laid upon yourself. And now this has changed your heart. You are, you're worried. You have anxiety and you're, you're emotional. You're upset. Each of these words give a greater depiction of the condition of Martha's heart through which Jesus is leading her. He's leading her to a great place. He started with the reality of the many things. Now he's addressing her heart. You're, you're worried. You're upset. Again, the word worry from that Greek word merimena means not just that your heart has become divided, but your heart has been laid out and multiplied in different directions. And now you feel a sense of care for each of those directions. Does it not surprise us that the word anxiety we translate um, actually comes from the origin of, of a heart being divided with concerns and cares that were never intended for one's life? And so Jesus said to Martha, you have anxiety, you're worried, your heart has become divided. It is little wonder why she could not repose herself like Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus. In Martha's mind, that would have been an impossibility. Why? Because her heart was pulled asunder. How could she let that go? She had divided interest. How could she quieten herself and say, I'll not speak a word. I'll listen to Jesus. So the condition of her heart was addressed in this second step of the shift. That reflects a need many of us have to shift from our, our, our pressures of working and serving to being in the presence of Jesus and worshiping him in our devotion.
So in this uh, duality of worry and being upset, Jesus mentioned that her heart was divided with concerns, but that she was upset. There was a, an emotionalism uh, to which she caved and, and gave in. Uh, this word uh, upset actually translates the idea of panic. Now, does this not sound familiar <laughs> to all of you? I'm joking. Does this not sound familiar to all of us? We take on responsibilities that were never intended, and then we panic because we can't handle the weight of this self-imposed burden. Well, this becomes Martha's condition of the heart. She did not discipline physically, and all of these responsibilities fell on her, and the lack of discipline in her physical life affected her soul. She was worried, and then she was upset. She, she panicked. You know, when we read this story, we're reading ocularly the words, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. But I assure you, there was no calm in her voice when she went to our Lord and said, please tell my sister that she's left me alone here. She needs to come over here and, and help me. Martha attempted to make her own self-imposed emergency, Mary's emergency. Please do not let the Marthas of the world do that to you. Love on them, but do not allow their emergency to become yours, especially if it distracts you from walking in fellowship with Jesus and coming before him in worship and in devotion. So Jesus led Martha in this shift from many things through her recognition that she was worried and upset, and then he led her to the place she needed to be to complete the shift. There are many things that have upset you, but only one thing is required. Jesus led her from the many things through the reality of her anxiety and panic to the one thing. The third point of this shift references the one thing. Jesus said only one thing is necessary. Mary has this on her heart and, and it should not be taken from her. I can't ask Mary to come be with you because the one thing she's discovered is what I'm requiring for you. Now, we can't be for certain specifically what the one thing represents, but we know the one thing. We know without a doubt the one thing references one's life before Jesus. Could it be referenced in that we're listening to his words or that we're, we're coming before him in personal worship? Could it be that we are creating a deeper devotion in our relationship with him? Could it be that we're prioritizing being his follower as opposed to being busy for him? Well, the one thing Jesus said, Mary is seated and she's listening to my words. Martha, that is the one thing required. Oh, dear friend, if someone's emergency has become yours, if all you feel that your faith has become is a denigration of service down to mere busyness, then you need to work through this shift. The need is for you to shift from that through the reality of how that has changed your heart and made you worried and upset. You need to find your way back to Jesus in personal worship, in personal devotion. See, this call to personal worship doesn't really reference you or I standing in the midst of a worship setting. This reference is you and I coming before Jesus and truly pouring our hearts out to him in praise and in honor and listening to his words, whereby in that increased fellowship, we are growing in our faith to honor him more. That references personal worship. Are you personally worshiping Jesus or do you need 
this shift to take place in your life. And a fitting illustration would be from Revelation chapter 2, where the church at Ephesus was assessed for their busyness because they had left their first love. Jesus said, I see your works. They're great. They're awesome. Jesus speaking through the apocalyptic writing of, of John the Revelator to the church at Ephesus. You are a phenomenal church in your practice, in your public demonstration. But I have one thing against you, so severe that I might take the light of your effectiveness out. And that one severe omission is that you have lost your first love. Have you lost your, your love and your passion for Jesus? Because you've allowed circumstances or other people to heave upon your shoulder responsibilities Jesus never handed you. Oh, I pray that you will find your way back to the heart of Jesus. The need is for that shift. Now we come to the final, the final embrace of this narrative so that we can learn from the contrast between Martha and Mary. Oh, I've loved this time with you. These are real pertinent principles for our, our moment, but I'd like to just share a few specific principles from the application of this story. And these are very simple and I, I lay them out for you. Application number one, consider your call to personal worship. There are two specific ways God calls us to worship, congregationally and personally. Consider your call to worship Jesus personally. Second, application number two, beware of sterile religious practice. Beware of serving to simply satisfy your own sense of responsibility. Beware in that of diminishing devotion because of busyness. So beware of sterile religious practice. Application number three, do not allow busyness and the busyness of all of your outward activities to replace quiet worship before Jesus. And that happens so easily. Do not allow busyness to replace your quiet worship before Jesus. If you're in a place of leadership, can I speak to you specifically? Your leadership may be in the home, it may be in the church, it may be in the community. But you will never minister past the effectiveness and genuineness of your own private time with Jesus. You'll never minister beyond that. Your time with Jesus or the absence thereof becomes the immediate lid to your effectiveness. I've learned that the hard way. Return back to a personal, private worship of Jesus in your own heart. Do not allow busy outward activities to replace the quiet worship of your heart. Application number four, remain at the feet of Jesus before him in personal worship. Do not episodically find your way in personal worship. Remain at his feet. If you need a tangible picture, see yourself beside Mary, bowing in front of him, worshiping him, honoring him. See yourself at the feet of Jesus. Application number five. Cease striving. This becomes one of the greatest exhortations in the context of personal worship. Cease striving. Go through that shift that Martha needed to make that Jesus instructed her through. Cease striving. Cease the busyness. Cease fighting against all of those episodes that don't measure up to your ideologies. Cease striving. Psalm 4610 gives us that exhortation. Cease striving. Historically, the Hebrew there is an imperative, which means lay it down. 
It's more fierce than the tranquil interpretation we've given to be still and know that I am God. God actually instructed Israel, who gave way to fights and war strategies, lay it down and cease and trust me, God said to his children. And God says this to us today. So the fifth application, cease striving. Assistant professor of psychology at the University of Toronto, Jennifer Stella, makes this observation. She has come up with an ingenious plan called Spring Cleaning Your Mind. This is what she said. We share a universal problem right now. We're all busy and stressed, maybe ever more self-involved and turned in because of the pandemic. Social isolation may be contributing to a tendency to ruminate more or even be more narcissistic, which is related to the ego. But then she said this, there's one way to overcome <laughs> this reacquaintance with our own ego because of the pandemic pressing us in. There's only one way to overcome it. And she says this from a sector perspective, you need a sense of awe. When you develop a sense of awe, <laughs> the ego leaves. The, the importance of self leaves. All of the responsibilities and the grandiose tasks that you think you have to manage. When you focus on awe, all of that leaves, according to this expert in the field of psychology. But I'll tell you this, Isaiah knew this long before this report, because Isaiah said, when I saw God sitting on his throne, I became undone. You know, the greatest way to move from Martha to Mary would be to focus in all at Jesus Christ. And I ask you to do that now. Focus on Jesus. He invites you into a personal worship of him. Focus on him. Be in awe of who he is. And watch all of the concerns of self fade. Now, don't be turned in. Don't take responsibilities on more than you should. Now, be responsible. Serve diligently but not at the cost of your personal worship. Your effectiveness publicly will never surpass the time you spend privately with Jesus. Thank you for joining us in this, uh, in this incredible passage. And I pray you're encouraged to be a person of personal worship before Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for teaching us through your word. Guide us beyond this broadcast and beyond this time together to have our focus on you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. It's a website location. Reach out. I'd love to talk to you more. We would love to talk to you more about what it means to know Jesus Christ and to follow him. And dear Christian, focus on Jesus. Be in awe of him. And let's not be busy. Let's worship him and serve out of that overflow. Love you a lot. God bless. See you soon.